The CAEH Training and Technical Assistance Program is a nonprofit consulting service with a mission to end homelessness. Their goal is to support and accelerate an end to homelessness by providing high quality, accessible, affordable, evidence-based coaching, training, and technical assistance. Choose from established and proven trainings or have something tailored specifically to meet your needs. Visit training.caeh.ca to book your consultation or training today. Meet their dedicated and friendly trainers and find out how you can end homelessness in your community once and for all at training.caeh.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door, and with me, as always, is the amazing host, Stefania. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing today? Good, good. What is happening at CAEH? Oh, what isn't happening at CAEH? <laughs> it's always hard because, I, you know, we never know exactly when uh, this podcast episode will come out, but definitely we're planning our conference in November, our switch to virtual, a full virtual conference, just because, you know, we don't know what or where everything will stand in November, hopefully much, much, much better than where it's at now, but we're excited for the opportunity of a virtual conference because I think it'll be way more accessible for folks to join nationally. So that's a lot of where planning is right now. Yeah. Yes, yes. And as well, speaking of planning, our federal government is in the midst of planning to drop mm -hmm. a federal budget this Monday. So I'm sure you are on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen and how it will affect our sector. Yeah, right now. Um, yeah, as of recording this podcast, we're not sure. Um, and usually, you know, there's always a little bit of intel, there's a little bit of like government relations going on. But yeah, we have no idea at this point what to expect. So we're hopeful, cautiously optimistic, I think. <laughs> Well, yes, very. It's always good to be hopeful. We will see. Uh, I think we're, we're, I'm hoping we're in for some uh, good news come Monday. And listen, Steph, I, I wanted to tell you, I was so glad uh, that you agreed to co-host this, uh, this podcast because not only did you bring a, a great deal of class to the podcast, but you brought experience as a, a journalist. And speaking of writers and journalists, mm -hmm. maybe you could tell us a little bit about today's guest. Yeah, I'm really excited to have today's guest on, uh, especially in her latest role. So today we have Jen St. Dennis. She's a staff writer for the TAI, which is an independent news magazine based out here in Vancouver, uh, where she covers the downtown Eastside neighborhood. She previously reported on housing and city politics for CTV News, The Star Vancouver, Metro News, and Business in Vancouver. And her work has also appeared in the Toronto Star and the South China Morning Post. Uh, welcome to the show. Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. Jen, it is great to have you on today. And just to get things started, I thought it would be great to first talk about the TAI for our listeners who aren't in the know, me being one of them, uh, from, uh, from the East Coast, and the decision uh, behind having a reporter focus solely on the downtown East Side community in Vancouver. Why? Why that? And, and tell us more about uh, the work you're doing. 
Yeah, so the Tai is an independent online news magazine. It's actually been around since 2003. It's been going strong for many years. Um, but we've kind of recently like had a little bit of a boost. Actually, we've been hiring a lot more reporters. More people are reading us than ever before. Um, the decision to start the downtown east side beat came from um, our publisher, Jeanette Agason and um, editor-in-chief Robin Smith. And in this in the sort of like spring of 2020, just as the pandemic uh, was really kind of in the first phase, like the first full swing, um, they decided to create this beat. It was initially funded by the Local Journalism Initiative, which is a federal program which provides funding for journalism. And the downtown east side in Vancouver is this neighborhood, this inner city neighborhood, um, where there's just a lot of people who are living in poverty. There tends to be uh, a lot of people who use drugs in that neighborhood, although not everyone does. Um, a very high population of urban indigenous people live in that neighborhood. So just a neighborhood that has a lot of challenges, um, but also, but when you get to know it, has amazing stories, amazing stories of resilience and, um, you know, continuing to thrive through, through incredible struggle. Um, and when the pandemic hit, what kind of happened in news is just that we were all so focused on the, on the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Thai found that they were writing some stories about what was happening in the downtown east side. So for instance, um, you know, some of the buildings that have shared bathrooms, not having any soap, for instance. So just like sort of shocking things like that in the middle of a pandemic, um, your building doesn't have soap in its shared bathroom. So they would write these stories and where they were finding that they would get a lot of um, interest from people and they kind of realized that, you know, in the rush of trying to report on the COVID-19 pandemic, what was kind of getting lost was um, just a focus on, you know, this, this sort of like historically disadvantaged community where so many people live in poverty and where we've seen all of the inequities that have, the pandemic has highlighted we see all of those playing out in these in this community. So they decided to kind of put a reporter just to focus on the downtown east side. And it was the first time that had ever actually been done in the city. There have been lots and lots of reporters who've written about the downtown east side and written wonderfully about it, but there has never been someone who just only writes about the downtown east side as kind of a community news beat. Yeah, Jen, when I heard that you were joining the TAI as a reporter focused solely on the downtown east side, I was really excited because, you know, firstly, it's so important uh, for this community to finally get the level of coverage that I think it deserves. Um, but I also knew that I felt like you would really do it justice. So um, how did you first approach covering this community and how has that evolved over time? So I have written about the downtown east side for years, but what I would always do was I would always sort of be on a deadline and it would be some specific issue like the overdose crisis was really what kind of kept our attention focused on the community for a long time. Um, and I was always going to the advocates like those really public people who and some of them have lived experience and they're great but you know, when you're a reporter on a deadline, you just want to have someone pick up the phone. And so the point of entry was always the advocate, you know, often people who are white or have like a little bit more education. And what I really wanted to do with this beat was get beyond those advocates. I wanted to really talk to people who don't normally talk to the media, who maybe haven't had the chance to, who didn't realize that they could access the media and get their stories told and get action on issues that are affecting them. So that was really my goal with this beat. Um, and it just, it's actually been way easier than I thought it would be. Um, from the very beginning, we had people giving us tips about things that were happening and were willing to kind of reach out to us. And so, and then being able to write the story based on the tips was also really important. And that's just kind of snowballed. So then people see us 
acting on the tips and producing the stories and getting attention on the issues. And then they go, oh, I also have a story. I see that you're doing this thing. <laughs> Let me try to get in touch with you as well. Um, initially, I was really concerned because with COVID, like this community, you really have to go in person <laughs> and meet people face to face and go to events and go to protests. And so that with COVID, that none of that stuff was going on. And so I was really concerned about that initially. But what I realized was that everyone's on Facebook. So, so I do a lot, I do a lot of work on Facebook. Um, and people can get in touch with me really easily. They don't need to know my phone number. They can just send me a message and I'll see it and I'll get in touch with them and start talking. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I've and I've definitely noticed that that you're able, you're producing these stories uh focused on the community that just aren't being seen anywhere else. Like you've broken so many, so many great stories. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us, you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but can you tell us a bit more about how you've developed relationships within the community and how you think your practice differs from journalists from maybe more mainstream outlets who don't cover it as often unless there's like a really big breaking news story? Because I know just even from my time working in the downtown east side and seeing the difference from having that benefit of being in community versus journalists who kind of come in with maybe a little bit of a different you know mindset I just yeah just curious to get your thoughts on on how you've developed those relationships yeah so I've been able to spend a lot of time developing some stories you know there's still and I have a very low bar of the stories I'll do I'll do I'll do really small community stories um I try to do stories that are positive as well like there's a lot of you know, grief and tragedy that happens in the downtown east side, but there's also just a really vibrant community. So I try to reflect that as well in the stories. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to spend the time and work on a story that might take weeks to put together and I'll just kind of work on it, kind of, you know, go down to the neighborhood um, a few times a week, for instance, for some stories and just kind of observe what's going on. So a good example of that was this issue I heard about where the police and city workers were work, kind of working together to clear Hastings Street. So there's a lot of homelessness on Hastings Street. People set up tents and other items. And so in the morning, what was happening was these city workers were coming down with police and kind of throwing everything in the garbage um, if people weren't cleared out. And people were losing like all of their belongings, like everything they owned. Um, and I heard this was happening, but I didn't really have like, I, I knew I needed to talk to someone who this has actually happened to. And so these, so I started sort of hearing about this from advocates and then they actually put me in touch with someone who it, it had just happened to and I was able to talk to that person. So I had been working on that story for like, could have kind of known about it for a few weeks and it just waited for the right voice to kind of be able to, to do that story. And then because of that story, it kind of like turned into, there was another story I was able to do as well, just talking to Dave Dixon, who's a retired um, Vancouver police officer who worked in the downtown east side for years still works there as an outreach worker and he just told me you know this just happened to this uh, to these other people I know they actually had had a walker taken and thrown in the trash um, and so I was able to go and talk to those people sort of with him he kind of introduced me to them so so that's kind of an example of how I how I tend to work Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, 
or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. And, you know, I think you, you talk about it like it's quite natural, but I, I think it takes a certain type of uh, reporter, journalist to really uh, get people to trust them. Uh, and so what would be your advice for journalists or service providers who are uh, engaging in a community like the, the downtown east side? which is uh, home to so many uh, amazing peer-led advocacy groups? Well, I'm not sure if I really have advice for people doing service work, but for journalists, I so I, we, it was really important with the TAI for this person, the reporter who's gonna do the downtown east side beat to practice trauma-based journalism. So that means that we recognize that, you know, a lot of these stories are quite hard to tell and that we're gonna approach that carefully. Um, we're, if it's, if this person is, um, telling us a story that does have to do with trauma that will, you know, work with them, we'll probably let them see the story or see parts of the story and see how we're using their quotes. Um, and just want to underline, like, I wouldn't do that for a politician, but for someone who's telling a traumatic story, we are doing that. And that really, really makes a difference, I find. And just that idea of letting the person like putting the person in control of their own story um, is really important too. So I do a lot of work to kind of outline what's going to be happening, like the process. You know, if it's a serious allegation, I'll be like, you know, I, I have to go to the person, to the you know agency or whatever you're making the allegation about. I'm going to have to tell them about that. Um, going through, you know, sometimes I'll even let them see the photo because photos are very, you know, can be very touchy depending on how people are are. Um, depicted. So just kind of taking them through it every step of the way and just making sure um, that they feel like they're in control of their own story. And also just letting them have access because journalism is very powerful. And I find that people actually do really want to talk and really want to tell their story and have access to that to that power. So realizing that as well and kind of helping people get get their story, their story told. I absolutely agree. I think, um, so I work at an organization called Blue Door, and I remember uh, sometimes there's pushback when uh, we're approached to say, do you have people that can share their stories? They'll say, well, you know, you got to respect their privacy, or maybe at the same time, it's what you're saying is so many people have wonderful stories to tell, and it empowers them. They want to, and they, and, and for many, I've never had anyone want to hear my story, and so it's very, very empowering. Now, you started covering the downtown east side in probably one of the most critical eras uh, for the neighborhood. You've got the pandemic on top of a housing crisis, on top of a toxic drug supply crisis, as well as the rise of hate crime. Do you have a moment or story you'd like to share, uh, given you're a seasoned journalist that stood out, uh, a moment that is really unique to the community? Yeah, I wanted to talk about something that just happened this week that was actually really fun to cover and was a really interesting story. So um, this group called, it's like kind of an umbrella group of drug policy activists who are active in other groups, but they call themselves the Drug User Liberation Front. And they, what they did was they apparently bought a bunch of um, untainted drugs on the internet. Um, it's, they told me they bought them from the dark web using cryptocurrency. So um, make of that what you will. Uh, but they actually tested all of those drugs. They bought heroin, cocaine, and meth, and they tested all of them. And then they packaged them in little boxes with very clear labels about what was in the drugs and the percentage of all the things. Like so heroin, having 40% heroin and 60% caffeine, for instance, in these little boxes. And they had this event that was, that was you know, a protest event, really, where they were giving out these free drugs and um, that were clearly labeled. So the idea was to show that, you know, if government regulated the drug supply and it wasn't bought on the black market, then 
you know, you could actually see what was in your drugs and you wouldn't have to worry every time you take them that you're going to overdose. Um, that was just such a downtown East side event. It was just like raucous and, but also so powerful. It was a mix of, you know, protest and kind of a party, well, not a party atmosphere, but kind of like, you know, just very, very powerful that mixing, mixing all of those things like protests with music and <laughs> handing out, handing out drugs in a way that was very responsible with drug testing nearby with, you know, overdose prevention site nearby. Um, everything was done so organized, but then also this element where they were going to march and raise hell as well. So um, for me, that was just an event that was just like 100% downtown east side probably couldn't happen anywhere else. Yeah, I, I recently saw that story um, and, and, you know, having friends on Facebook sharing like the picture of the little bar of heroin. And I just thought that was so powerful and like absolutely something that could only happen in the downtown east side in the way that it did. And, and so much has happened in the downtown east side and often started there. Um, and I know that that event was, you know, um, they knew in a way that it would be inspiring in the same way that safe injection sites, how those started in the downtown east side. And they were also a form of protest, but at the end of the day, they're a form of saving people's lives, which again is just this incredible testament to the community of the downtown east side. And, and I totally like had the privilege of, you know, working in there and being welcomed by that community as a journalist and like full disclosure, shortly spent a stint with the Thais housing <laughs> fix reporter when I was with Megaphone, just for full disclosure. But you know, one of the, the biggest things is, yeah, how welcomed I felt into the community, how you foster those friendships. Um, and, you know, there is this outsider perception of the community that really can eclipse what it's actually like to be there. And, and I think you, you noted this before where there's a lot of tragedy in the downtown East side, but there's a thriving, incredible community that looks out for each other and really loves and cares for one another. Um, what, what would you want people who, uh, to take away from the storytelling about the neighborhood that you do? Yeah, I there is that outsider perception and people who live in Vancouver often have this perception, you know, they'll drive through it or they'll they'll sort of encounter it in kind of a surface way and they'll be very horrified uh, because, you know, it is it is tragic what you see in the neighborhood at times. And they'll, there'll be a, a really overriding fear that, you know, if a social housing project is announce for their neighborhood that's going to serve low barrier people, there'll be this fear that, oh, you're bringing the problems of the downtown east side to my neighborhood. Um, so what I try to do with my stories is to just show the full range of the neighborhood to really show that the people who live, live there are very interesting people who have fascinating stories, um, many of whom choose to live in that neighborhood because they love it there, you know, some of whom don't, some who want to kind of escape the neighborhood. I just try to show the full range of what's going on and um, just to my, to me, this neighborhood is just so interesting. It's so inspiring. And I just want to be able to kind of share that to the rest of the city and, you know, and really just show that people have lots of different experiences and lots of different ways of living their lives. And that, you know, being in a city is getting to know people who are very different from us. And I think, you know, getting to know neighborhoods like the downtown east side is part of living in the city and being a citizen of the city. Absolutely. Now, while the pandemic has been hard on everyone, it's been, of course, hardest on our most vulnerable, and it's absolutely exposed the inequities and the precarity for people experiencing homelessness and the overdose crisis. Uh, how, how have you seen this play out in your time working, um, working the beat, and what, what 
learnings can we take away as the country looks at economic recovery plans to get us out of this pandemic? Well, I think it's been interesting because it has kind of highlighted every social inequity that we've been talking about for years, and especially in Vancouver with like the housing market and our overdose crisis, which has been the worst in the country. Um, but I also think it's sort of turbocharged government policies, maybe not in some areas as much as we'd like to see, but it has really put these put this discussion into the into the public in a way that I think you know, it was the overdose crisis, for instance, has been dragging on since 2016. And I think maybe people were a bit tired of talking about it. But, you know, tragically, because it got worse during the pandemic, it's now like, totally in the forefront again. And I think that people are considering things that they might have had resistance to in the past, like the idea of safe supply. And what does that mean? I think that there's much more public conversation about that. Um, just highlighting how important it is to house everyone is just very much at the forefront too. So I think it's actually been good in a way because we are talking about these things. It does seem very, very apparent now that we do need to focus on, on these things like equitable access to housing and other issues. So that's sort of what I'm seeing and what I'm gonna be watching for as we recover from COVID. Yeah, us too. <laughs> um, and and as we as as Michael alluded to earlier, you know the challenges that are facing this community. This and you know the downtown east side is is really just like a set of eleven or sixteen blocks. Like it's really a concentrated area, um, but it's facing um, sort of it's it's such a like a petri dish of everything that faces most folks who are you know living um, without a home or on the street. Um, in, in so many different facets. So we're seeing this community facing gentrification on all sides, uh, homelessness, poverty, racism, and a poison drug supply. But, you know, can you tell us, um, and, and you sort of noted with the recent protests, but can you just share with us some of the other standout work that's happening on the ground and why folks across the nation should take note? So yeah, so what's happened recently on the housing front, which is really interesting, is that um, the government, the provincial government has been snapping up all of these hotel properties. And so in some cases, they've actually been um, buying properties like SROs that were converted into hostels for use for tourists to use, so like a youth hostel, and they've actually bought them and have turned them back into housing for low income people. And I just find that really, really interesting. We're sort of seeing this this shift from like, okay, do we need accommodation for tourists or do we need accommodation for people who do not have a home? And to see the government just snap up, they snapped up like six hotels recently. Um, and you know, there are probably, there's probably gonna be controversy over that because it is gonna change downtown and maybe we do need more, more hotels in the, in the long run. But just to see that shift happen is just really, really interesting. So that's something I have my eye on. And then, yeah, like I said, with the poison drug supply, I, I do feel like there's just a much like a greater openness than there was before with just the general public thinking about what it really means to have a war on drugs and why would we continue to do that? And it's, so I think that I'm really gonna have my eye on that as well. I am glad you're gonna have your eye on that. It's so important. I, 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 for the life of me, I can't understand while this crisis is going on, not just in downtown East Side, but across Canada for so long. And yet many in government still don't see it as a crisis, right? People are dying every day and, and you know, it really gets buried and it has to be uh, brought to the forefront. We're counting on you to help lead that charge. Jen, where can people find and read your work? So yeah, you can visit the Thai. Uh, it's the 
taiyi.ca. So T-H-E-T-Y-E-E.ca. Sometimes we have a little bit of trouble like getting people to hear the taiyi and they say, what's that? <laughs> um, so you can go there or you can follow me on Twitter at Jen St. Den. So J-E-N-S-T-D-E-N. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for all the work you're doing and bringing attention to the downtown east side. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Yeah, Jen is like one of my favorite people, although I've never shared a newsroom with her or worked with her directly. I've always been a longtime fan of her work. So I was really excited to get her on the show today because I just think the work that the Tai is doing um, when it's covering these sort of social justice issues, they really do it in such a meaningful, deep way that I, I just thought it was a really great opportunity to kind of um, focus on that and, and lift it up on a national level. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, we've talked about this before. The purpose of this podcast is really around awareness and education of what's happening, the challenges, the successes, what more we can do. And um, Jen is absolutely doing that kind of work, bringing that attention to it, telling those stories that matter. So it, it was amazing to talk with her today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I know um, she wanted to only speak on how journalists can can work within the community, but I really think that there's a lot of learning there for service providers as well, um, and how important and empowering stories can be, and also how, you know, people um, want control of their narrative, which I think is fair to say of all of us. So I think those are some learnings that are really important for all of us to take away when we're um, looking to cover or work within communities or with folks who are generally marginalized by the system. Absolutely. Listen, whether you're a journalist, a politician, or an outreach worker, one of the core concepts to working with people experiencing with uh, homelessness or on the street is really to, to build trust, right? And that transparency and everything Jen was saying about, I'll, I'll you know, show you the photo. Hey, I'm going to have to talk to someone else as well, right? Because once you break that trust, it is really hard to roll back and word spreads quick. We mm -hmm. saw that, I mean, with a lot of uh, vaccine hesitancy, it is the word on the street, don't do this, you know, and there's a couple of influential people. So you have to be able to build that trust. The trust mm -hmm. is lost. Trust isn't always there because so many people have let them down over time yeah. that they have trusted. Um, so that, that building that trust up, no matter what occupation you're in is, is critical. And it's seems like she's done a great job of that absolutely well michael i guess i will see you next week we will see you next week on another episode of on the way home thanks for joining I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.